Church, we're glad that you're joining us online this morning. I uh, want to just take this opportunity we've been doing every week to tell you, because we're not obviously meeting together, but we hope that this, we want to encourage you as you're in your homes, wherever you are watching today, when we're, when we're singing worship, join us in worship. When we're using the word, preaching the word, get your Bible out, open it up, take notes, engage in worship today. One of the ways that we worship is by giving, and obviously that's a little bit uh, not normal right now. The way we do that, the best way to do that is online. Uh, you can go to our website and find the online giving link. We encourage you to do that. It really is super convenient. It's very easy to set up. We'll be glad to even talk you through that in the office if you need help uh, setting that up. And if you want to, you always you can drop your offering by the office during the week. Or you could mail it in if you wanted to do that as well. But uh, we want to encourage you to worship by giving as well. And now we're going to continue our worship, worshiping together in song. And you join us as we sing about the blood of Jesus.
Sometimes I'm strong, sometimes I'm weak, sometimes I fall in my wandering. But through it all, there's just one thing more precious than the air I breathe. Amazing grace, unfailing grace that saves my soul. Grace, unending grace, unrelenting grace that won't let go. You took our sin, you took our sin. Who took our guilt? Now there is no shame. This our reward, eternal crown, the endless song. How sweet the sound! Grace, amazing grace, unfailing grace that saves my soul. great psalms to read in a public worship setting, but this one's so good and so appropriate for where we are, particularly this next song. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. That's our hope for us this morning, for all of us are encouraged and able to do that. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not 
all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles.
Lions and tigers and bears 
Oh my, good morning Dorisville, we're so glad you could join us this morning in worship, whether you're on Facebook Live or YouTube Live or 102.3 FM, later on YouTube, thank you so much for joining us, and we have lions, tigers, and bears. You know, I can remember back when I was a kid, I mean, we're talking like seven, eight years old, I can remember so well, that came on television back then, about every year, just about a year, and we were pretty, now I say we, um, my brother it took me along to church. My mom and dad didn't do Sunday night church at all. But anyway, so I would usually go on Sunday nights. But, the, but one of the times I would stay home and watch TV was when The Wizard of Oz came on and we saw it. And, of course, my favorite part was the twister. I never liked the munchkins. I thought they were not cool, okay? But I did like the lions and the tigers and the bears. Oh, my. And here's the thing. Did you notice something there when they asked the question? You know, the, you know, the cowardly lions fixed to pop out there at the end. And, but when they, when they were asking the question, what kind of animals are here? Here, did you see how they fed their fear? You know, as they're sitting there and they start walking together, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and they got more and more and more wrapped up in their fear, and that's exactly what happens. Now, I'm sure Judy did not come up with this on her own. It's one, she's a great researcher and reader, but one of the things she tells me constantly. Uh, because I need it, um, is the fact that my mind hears everything my mouth says. My mind hears everything my mouth says. So, so if, if I happen to say, gee, look a little pudgy, Dwayne, you know, my mind's going, gee, you're pudgy, okay? Or, or if I fail at something, you know, I say, man, I'm a failure, and then my mind hears that, okay? So it's very important that how we feed our mind positive things and not negative things. It's very, very important. Now, now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We really aren't talking about lions and tigers and bears. We're talking about lions, tigers, and Jezebel. Oh, my. And we, this is the part of the story that I think is very intriguing and very hard to understand because of how unusual um, that it is. And, and you can, by the way, you can go ahead and put whatever you want to up there where it says Jezebel. Because what is it in your life that causes fear? What is it in your life that you're fearful of? You know, obviously, in these days, we could say lions, tigers, and coronavirus. Oh, my. Or maybe you've been unemployed now for 12 weeks, and you're going, oh, no, lions, tigers, and unemployment. Oh, my. You've been locked in the house with the kids. You have my sympathy. All right? You know, you've been locked in the house with the kids, and you're going, lions and tigers and kids. Oh, my. Well, whatever you want to put there, you can. And we want to look at today is that how, we, how Elijah failed to look at fear and how we need to look at fear um, today. Now, Billy Graham, and I, it's funny, I, I found this quote, and it's so not Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham was like, you know, very godly, and this quote didn't sound very godly, but I checked it, and it's really attributed to him, and it's a great quote for this. Here's what it says, you know, fear and anxiety are like baby tigers. For some reason, I have a hard time imagining Billy Graham saying baby tigers, you know? All right? So fear and anxiety are like baby tigers. The more you feed them, the stronger they grow. And see, that's why you've got to be careful at what your mind hears, everything your mouth says, okay? So however we feed fear and anxiety, the more stronger they grow. But here's the other side, the flip side of that coin. The more you starve them, the weaker they grow the weaker they grow. So we have somewhat the ability to control how we look at fear. All right? Now, here's the deal. In 2 Timothy 1.7, uh, I, I was thinking, you know, sitting down before I came up on stage, I'm pretty sure this is one of those verses I had to remember or memorize when I was in RAs. 
It must have been royal ambassadors, you know, for you southern Baptist folks. And, you know, and so this was a, a scripture that we had to learn way back then. So this has been a part of my life since I, even before I was a teenager, okay? But it's such a powerful verse. And it's one that if you don't have it committed to memory, you probably ought to at least get most of it down, which is what I usually do in my latter years, okay? But Paul is writing to young Timothy. He's a young pastor. He's just a little timid, okay? A little timid. And so he's a little afraid. And so Paul says, now listen, Timothy, God, listen, God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So, so any time that we're doing life, whether it's coronavirus life or the old normalcy life, or the new normalcy life, whatever that looks like, whenever fear is creeping in, mark it down. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not from God. That fear is not from God. And I always say this when I mention this scripture. Okay, if it's not from God, who's it from? It's from the devil. Okay, Satan wants us to be afraid. But only does God not give us a spirit of fear. He gives us something in his place. Um, he gives us a spirit of power. Of power. Uh, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, that's a scripture of power. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Of love. Over in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Perfect love cast out fear. And I love what one translation says. Perfect love drives out fear. And when we understand, hey, listen, listen, you know, his love never fails. You know, you get that song in it, a great song, amen? It's a great song. So, so here, when we understand the love of God, that God loves us perfectly, and nothing we could ever do could make him love us less. Nothing. No matter how many times you fail or the mammoth size of your one big fail, Okay, once you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, he never stops loving you. His love never runs out on me. It never fails me. All right. So that knowledge, that is ours to claim. We, we had the spirit of power. We had the spirit of love and sound mind. And boy, do we need that today. In these days of I don't know. I don't know. We're not sure what's going to happen. I don't know. You know, over in Judges 21, 25... Um, it says there, Israel had no king. Israel had no king. So in the absence, absence of a king, um, everyone did whatever seemed right to him. That is the culture we live in. That is the culture that we live in. No king, and so we do whatever we think. And by the way, you know, we don't have a king in America anyway. Um, but you know what? If you don't have Jesus as king, you just do, you just do what seems right to you. But listen to this, Mama T., Sometimes we Christians do the same thing. Sometimes we act woo, sometimes we act like the throne is empty. Sometimes we live our lives like the throne is empty, like King Jesus is no longer king. And when that happens, we have a real strong tendency to do exactly what we think is right or what we want to do. Those are just dangerous things. So so that's kind of a setup then for our, our sermon today on Elijah. This great man of God, and he's going to find, find himself in a mess. And unfortunately, I need to tell you, the mess is, mess is going to get worse next week. Okay, so, so this is like bad, and it's going to get badder for you. Okay, worse. Okay, worse. All right, worse. Okay, so, so it's fixing to get a setup. So, so imagine now, this is the man of God that God told him to go confront Ahab, and he did. And he puts him by a brook and birds feed him, you know, seeds and nuts and occasional mouse and, and, you know, some bugs and insects, those kind of things. And the brook provided the water. 
And then one day the brook you know, dried up. But Elijah had learned that God was good and faithful and could be trusted. And so he tends him to Zarephath where there's a widow and they experience the oil and the, and the flour that just doesn't go dry. And it doesn't run out. Okay? And again, the widow learns what Elijah learned that God is faithful and God is good and can be trusted. And then the boy dies. You remember that? The first time someone's raised from the dead in the entire Bible is in this situation. Elijah goes up to the room and prays, and God restores life to the young man. It's just a really incredible story. And then he goes to Mount Carmel, okay? First he announces it's going to rain, and then he goes to Mount Carmel and defeats 450 prophets of Baal. That man, that man now is on the run. It's going to be on the run in just a moment, okay? How did that happen? How did, how did fear all of a sudden becomes such a great, a big part of his life, okay? Well, we see, we see what I call the faces of the fear-mongers. The faces of the fear-mongers. This story really only has one major player, and that's Elijah, but these are important at the very beginning. Um, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 1, the Bible says, when Ahab got home. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about that, okay? What was that like when Ahab got home? Okay, now I, I kind of thought about it. So, so here comes Ahab, okay? He's been up on Mount Carmel, and he's seen, you know, he was pulling for Baal, and the home team lost. Baal lost big time, okay? That's happened. And so, um, so he walks into the house, you know, saw some pretty incredible things. Hi, honey! I'm home! I'm home! And she, he doesn't hear her immediately, okay? And so she, he yells a louder, um, Hey, Jess! Jess, are you home? Where are you? I'm out on the porch, honey. Okay? I'm enjoying the rain. See? Because all she knows is it started raining. That's all she knows. And who's the God in her eyes? Who's the God of rain? Baal. So she's assuming things went really good at the office that day. She's assuming that Baal has won. Elijah's been put down because look at the rain. I'm not enjoying the rain, honey. That's where I'm at. So he goes out there, and the Bible says he began to tell her everything Elijah did. And, and things went south for her. Okay? Uh, oh, yeah, Jazz, I hope you're enjoying the rain, but here's, here's the news. It wasn't Baal. Uh, Baal lost. Baal got defeated. Um, Elijah said it was going to rain, and so he won today. He called down fire from heaven, and, you know, and it's raining now because Jehovah God said it was going to rain. <laughs> Uh, it's not because of Baal, it's because of Jehovah God. Well, she was probably okay with that. We don't really know. But she continues and, and says, and by the way, your buds, the prophets, the 450 prophets of Baal, well, um, he killed all of them. Now, that really set Jezebel off. She could handle the idea that Baal lost, but now she finds out her, her friends, the prophets, have all been killed. And that really sets up this fear thing. See, fear usually has a main source. Fear has a main source. And of course, we could not ever go through. But I want to show you, where did fear come from? Now, you do understand, back in the garden, when God created a man and woman and all of that, you know, there was no fear. You know, you could walk out, you could walk up and pet Tony the Tiger, tiger and there was no deal. And, and snakes didn't bite you and kill you. It was, a, it was no fear. It was no fear deal. 
Okay? And then, you know, you know the story. Serpent shows up, tempts Eve. Eve says yes, gives it Adam. He's standing, I still can't believe this. He's standing there, okay, all the time. Eve's talking to this serpent and, and eating the fruit. And then she turns out and says, hey, honey, you want some? He says, sure. You know, what a husband, what a leader, right? What a warrior. Just gives in, just caves. All right? And so then that, and then we have this setup for Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. And this is the first fear. This is where fear is introduced into the story of the human race. All right? So in verse number 8, Genesis 3, 8, uh, the man and his wife um, heard, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Now, you've got to understand, this used to be like the highlight of the day. Apparently, God would show up in the garden, okay, and walk with his creation. Apparently, he would show up every day in the evening breeze, and they would chat and talk. Can you even fathom that? Can you even imagine how wonderful that would be? Well, that's what they had. And so it came time for that. You know, I just hear Adam going, oh, gosh, he's going to show up. He's going to show up. And he knew things were way different than they used to be. Well, he heard the sound of the Lord God coming in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid. They hid. Well, that's never happened before. And they hid among the trees, the Bible says, of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said, Hey, where are you? Now, it's not that God wasn't sovereign and didn't know. He was trying to help Adam see where he and Eve were. Okay, hiding. Hiding. Hey, where are you? And here's what Adam said. And this is the first mention of fear in the Bible. And he said... I heard you in the garden, and I was what? I was afraid. I was afraid. Just imagine, they could walk and talk with God Almighty, okay? And now they're afraid of Him. What a cost of sin. And that's just a little piece of the cost of sin. I was afraid, and the reason I was afraid, because I was naked. Um, Let me help you there. Um, I was ashamed, and I was guilty. I was ashamed, that's what sin does. I was ashamed, and I was guilty, and so I hid. So I hid. So so the source of fear is something that man did. And so often, the source of fear in our life are things we allow to come in our lives. You decide you want to have a girlfriend on the side, and all of a sudden, you become very fearful of your, what, what if my wife finds out? What if my kids find out? You start cheating on the books at work, okay? What if my boss finds out? What if the law finds out, okay? Different things like that. Fear can resolve, uh, resolve from things that we do. Things that we do. But that's not all. That's not all. It's also things we don't know. The unknown. And that's why people are wrestling with the coronavirus thing. You know, we don't know. You know, is the test accurate? We don't know. Will it kill you? We don't know. Okay, there's so much we don't know about this. You know, when are we going to have church? We don't know. Okay, I'm so tired of saying, don't know, don't know, don't know, don't know. Okay, but that's where we are. Well, the disciples had a situation kind of like that. It involved fear. Okay, so, so when the disciples saw him, this is when Jesus was walking on the water, okay? When Jesus was walking on the water, uh, on the sea, um, they were terrified, okay? So they saw this figure coming through the midst of the waves and all that, and they really couldn't identify, and so, so they were terrified. They were fearful because they were seeing something unknown. You ever get afraid when you see things that you don't know? You ever get afraid when you see things that you're not sure of? Sure we do. Sure we do. Again, as pastor, I do it all the time. We don't know what the future holds. Okay? So they said it's a ghost. And they were close. I guess the Holy Ghost was there. <laughs> I just made that up. It's not, it's not even written down. Okay? It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. They cried out in fear. Now, here's the deal. If 
you know, because Jesus had said, this is one of those other times. He said, hey, you get in the boat, go to the other side. I'm going to stay back here, dismiss the crowd. I'm going to go pray a while. Okay. All right. So they had the promise, the other side promise. Okay. But they were so wrapped up in fear that they couldn't see that. They couldn't see that. So they were operating in the realm of fear instead of faith. If they'd been operating in the realm of faith, boy, they'd have said, hi, Jesus. But they weren't. They were supposing he was something that he wasn't. Um, a ghost. Well, immediately, I like this. Immediately, verse 27. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, you know, have courage. Have courage. Okay, let, you, let your fear go. Have courage. Um, it is I. It's the King of Kings and the Lord of Wars. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So, so when we start operating in the realm of fear instead of faith, then fear pops up. It just, it, matter of fact, it grows. It, it's a culture that grows in a, watch, y'all, y'all going to be pressed. I know this, a Petri dish. That's a little thing in the lab, you know, where they put stuff. It grows. It festers um, in that. You know, Corey Tim Boom said, and we've used this quote before, but Corey Tim Boom said, never be afraid. Now listen, I hope you're taking these notes. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I don't know what this thing's going to look like. Um, eight or ten weeks ago, I told you, I stood in this place right here, and I remember, for some reason, I remember looking over this way right over here. I really remember that. And saying, it didn't come to stay, it came to pass. At that time, I honestly, by now, that we would have a real normal situation. That this thing would blow over, go away, and things would be back to normal. Well, guess what? They're not. Now, it's, you know, God's in control and God's sovereign. And, and we're going to have a new normalcy. We're going to have a normalcy, but it's going to be a different normalcy. And not just about church, your job, your life, your sports. You know, everything's just going to be different. It's going to be different. Okay? So, so understand then that we can trust God with the unknown. Because guess what? We don't know, but guess who does? God does. God does. God does. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Okay, so so, yeah, so now back to Elijah. Back to Elijah. Okay, so the Bible says, after Jezebel gets the bad news about the prophets in verse number 2, so Jezebel, okay, sent this message. Now, isn't it interesting? She hates Elijah. You know, Ahab, Ahab hates Elijah. Jezebel really hates Elijah. So she wants to destroy him. So wouldn't it seem logical that she gets about a hundred of her best troops and goes hunts down this, this prophet? She didn't do that. She sends a small envoy, one or two people, but she sends a message. She sends a message. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. Um, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. And you know what? Here, look at me. I don't know why. Why did that pierce his armor? Here's this great man of God. You know, Cherith and Zarephath and Mount Carmel. Who's seen God perform great miracles. And yet somehow those words pierced his armor. What is it that pierces your armor? What, what is it that happens in your life? Seemingly to another person would not face them. But for you it strikes, it strikes terror. It strikes terror. It's different. It's strange. Okay? So this message comes. And here's what's crazy. You know, in one decisive stroke, in one decisive stroke, two things happen that are really hard. Number one, she rids the country of Elijah's troubling presence. Just the fact that Elijah's walking the streets was bad news for Jezebel. So she says something, pierces his armor, and he's on the run. He's out of town. 
But also, secondly is, it brings discredit on the prophet. It discredits the prophet and his God. And it's it's huge. That's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to discredit us. He wants to discredit our God. And he would love to rid um, our presence, the presence of the church, um, throughout the world. Fortunately, he's not in control, and he cannot do that. You know, Zach Williams, a songwriter, wrote a song. We've used this song before. You know, talking about fear, uh, Zach Williams says, when he told you you're not worthy. Ever been told you're not worthy before? Uh, yeah, yeah. When he told you you're not worthy. Uh, when he told you you're not loved. Hmm. When he told you that you're not beautiful and that you'll never be enough. Fear's a liar. Someone say amen. Fear is a liar. And fear is the greatest lie of the liar, Satan. You need to know that. You need to remember that. So, so what is, if, if those words, if the words from the fear mongers are, are um, poison, what's the antidote? You know, if you drink poison, you want an antidote. Okay, so what's the antidote of this? Well, I only got two, um, two stories, two examples, but boy, they're good ones. Okay, imagine Jesus... He's been arrested. He's on trial now. And he's before Pilate. Okay? And here's what Pilate says. So Pilate said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know? Someone say, do you not know? Yeah, yeah. Do you not know that I have authority... To release you and the authority to crucify you? He looks Jesus in the eye and says, Don't you understand, son? I'm king here. I'm the authority here. And don't you understand that I have the authority? You better talk to me because I've got the authority to let you go or I've got the authority to crucify you. That's poison. That's why Satan, come on now, Satan will whisper in your ears. And he'll tell you junk like this. Don't you know? Do you really think you're God? Here's the antidote. Listen to this. Just just remind Satan of this. Just remind Satan of this. Jesus said, You would have no authority over me at all. You would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been granted or given you from above. Hey, hey, Pilate, whoa, whoa, Pilate, you think you've got authority? Well, let me tell you, any, any, Pilate, any authority you got is given to you from above. Does that need to be a message for today? Does that need to be a message for today? It does. It does. We serve a sovereign God. Thank you. Amen. We serve a sovereign God. He is in control. He's got this. I'm telling you guys, he's got this. Just because we can't see the end of the story, just because I can't even see tomorrow, doesn't mean that God's not in control. Our Father's in control. Pilate, you've got only authority that God has given you. And by the way, just for the record, you better go home and read again Romans chapter 13 in case you think the government's out of control. Okay, because the Bible says any authority, human authority is, is in place, is because he put it there. 
You know, God's got this, folks. God's got this. And if you think the government's bigger than Jesus, then you've got a mighty small God. That's what you got. All right? So, so the antidote is, okay, understanding the sovereignty of God. The poison in David's life. There were several. But in David's life, you know, young David is facing Goliath. Okay? And here's how the poison looks like. He walks up and here's nine foot nine. He has a beaver's wing, a beaver's beam for his uh, spear. The tip of the spear weighs 15 pounds, David. 15 pounds. All right? Nine foot nine inches tall. A beaver's wing. A log for a spear with a 15 pound uh, end on it. And here's the poison. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Are you mocking me? Do you think that I'm just a nobody that you come to me with these puny weapons of yours? These rocks, maybe he had a staff in his hand and, and some rocks and a sling. Are they, you think I'm a dog because you come to me with these puny weapons? Then he cursed David by his gods. Now, this sounds so much like Jezebel. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. He just said what Jezebel said. That's what he said. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds and to the wild beasts. That's the poison. Got any giants in your life? What's those giants talking? Are they trash talking you? Are they trash talking you? Your God's not big enough. You come at me, that puny stuff you call, call religion, Christianity. You got, he's just confused because we don't rely on religion, do we? And we don't rely on Christianity. We rely on God Almighty. And that's exactly, here's the antidote. Listen to what David says. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, a spear with a 15-pound tip, and a javelin. You, you, hey, hey, Goliath, you come to me with puny weapons. See, what, listen, listen. Compared to God, whatever weapon Satan throws at you is puny. Yeah, yeah. Compared to God, and not you, but compared to God, any weapon that Satan comes against you with is puny weapons. It's puny weapons. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come against you. I come against you. In the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. And buddy, you've made him mad. And buddy, you've made him mad. We need to remember that tonight. We need to, listen, in this time of coronavirus, in this time of unknowns, in this time of fear, we've got to understand that whatever weapons Satan has are puny weapons. But we come, we stand, we preach, we live in faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our King of kings and Lord of lords. So we don't have to be afraid. Well, unfortunately, Elijah didn't have all that. All he knows is he's afraid. And we don't know why. Somehow it pierced his armor, Howie. Somehow it pierced his armor. Great man of God. Can happen to anybody. Can happen to can happen to anybody. And it pierced his armor. Well, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. See, fear will do that. Fear will paralyze us. So now this is pretty important. Fear will paralyze us, okay, so we can't act or more likely cause us to react in a dangerous or wrong way. Have you ever had that dream? 
there's something attacking you, something that hurts you, uh, maybe a ghost thing in your mind, you know, and you're in a haunted house, and you, you, you see something coming towards you, and you get all frightened, and, 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 and your feet won't move. Am I the only one that's ever had that dream before? Gosh, it's crazy. It's scary. It might be a snake. A snake's coming towards you, and you can't run. Well, fear will paralyze you. Fear will paralyze you and make you so you can't act. You can't do what you know is right. That's what fear does. But I really think there's something more dangerous. And my friend David over there, he knows this about me. If something, there's a, if there's a ripple in the church, I have a tendency to overreact or to act, react wrongly. There's a small bump, and I want to just put on the brakes, buy a new car or truck. Okay? So, so be careful of fear. It can paralyze you, but it also can cause you to react in a wrong way. You know, a reactionary um, thing. Be careful of that. Billy Graham said, second Billy Graham quote, he made two today. Okay? Fear can paralyze us. Fear will paralyze us and keep us from believing God. And keep us from believing God. And stepping out on faith. That's what happened to the boys in the boat. And the devil loves a fearful Christian. The devil loves a fearful Christian. And there's a reason why. If Satan can make you fearful, then Satan can make you powerless. Write that down. That's a good one. Okay? Fear. If Satan can make you fearful, then he can make you powerless. Very, very important to remember. And, know. and that's what's happened to our friend. That's what happened to our friend. You know... Jesus experienced this in the cross, before the cross. People deserted him. People deserted him. You know, in Mark 14, 50 and 52 through 52, you know, they all deserted him. All the disciples left and ran away. And a certain young man wearing nothing, I've always wanted to use this verse and never did. A young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. And they caught hold of him and he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Isn't that a strange verse? Y'all read your Bible. Y'all read your Bible. So, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know, here was Jesus in a perilous situation, and everyone deserted him. Why? They were afraid. They were afraid. And this young guy was so afraid. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be? That he grabbed a hold of his robe and ripped it off of him, and he, was, he didn't have his BVDs on. Okay? And here he is naked. Such is the thing of fear. We'll put some very... Difficult situations. Well, so Elijah's going to run. The second part of verse number 3. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Now, this is a setup for for big fear. It's a setup for big fear. All right? Now, I want you to understand. I found out Beersheba was a sanctuary for Abraham. Yeah, yeah. In Genesis uh, 21, 33, here's what the Bible says. Abraham planted a Talmud tree in Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. So it perhaps it's no accident that Elijah went to Beersheba. It was a sanctuary. It was a sanctuary. But here's the perplexing thing, Robin. He didn't stay there. He moved on. In fact, knowing that he move on, he left his servant there. See, David understood this. You want to hear the most, one of the most heartbreaking scriptures in the whole Bible? Listen to this. 
This is David. He's been on the run now. Uh, a total period of 15 years that he run from Saul. And he's hiding in a cave. He's hiding in a cave from Saul's army. And here's what he writes. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. You ever feel invisible? There's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. David says, no one cares if I live or if I die. If I live or if I die. David knew about that. Paul knew about that. In a Roman prison, months, weeks from death, Paul says, make every effort to come to me soon. Because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world. And he's gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. I've been deserted. And then verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to my, no one came to stand by me. Can you get that? He's on trial. And of all the people he helped, no one stands with him. He's there by himself. All, listen, listen, listen. All his friends besides Luke deserted him. How difficult would that be? It looks like he says, though, may not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me, and he has strengthened me. Well, moves a little bit further. So he went on alone. He left his servant. He's now isolated. He's moved on from, boy, this is good. He moved from the sanctuary of God, where God, a good place to be. He leaves his servant behind, and he goes now alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. Now, you mark it down. When you leave the sanctuary of God, you end up in the wilderness. When you leave the protection of God, you end up in the wilderness. So he was weary. He had reached his breaking point. And then he could understand Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Um, he was speaking of the future of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. Isaiah you know, Elijah could have said, you know what? I know I'm despised. I know that I'm rejected by men. Um, a man of sorrows. I'm a man of sorrows because I've been rejected. Acquainted with grief, I'm experiencing grief. As one to whom men hide their faces. No one wanted to be with Elijah. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. Now, you see it getting darker? Can you sense it? He runs, afraid for his life. He runs to the sanctuary of God. Leaves the sanctuary of God. Leaves his servant there. Goes into the wilderness by himself. By himself. And let me tell you the results. He gets there. In verse 19, the, verse 4, the second part. He sat down. Now, be sure and understand who we're talking about. We're talking about Elijah. He sat down under a solitary broom tree. So apparently there's one tree and dirt. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. He prayed that he might die. Now, you remember the prayer of Carmel? Not Carmel. You know, God, prove that you're God, that you're the God. Prove that I'm your man and the words I speak, I work, preach by your authority. And fire fell from heaven. Wow. Compare that to this. God, I'm ready to die. See what fear can do for you? If we live in fear, it can rob us of everything we hold precious. 
with the Lord. It's a thief. It's a liar. I wrote this down. Elijah, Elijah is suffering from spiritual amnesia. You, you need to hear this tonight. You need to hear this today. Many of us suffer from spiritual amnesia. Cherith, remember the ravens? That's just a distant memory, totally off his radar. Even though it's not that long, three years. Cherith is off his memory. Zarephath, the woman, the oil, the flower, the boy, off his radar. Carmel, the great victory, calling down fire, and then seeing 450 prophets of Baal destroyed. Off his radar. Hand between, head between his knees, without a word being spoken, and rain comes and falls. Gone. What miracle has God done in your life that you've forgotten? See, I think we've all had miracles. In fact, may I say this? Our salvation is our greatest miracle. You know, we're all walking miracles. But, but what's the greatest thing that God's done that you've forgotten? We all have a tendency to have spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. It's happened to Elijah. All these things that were so powerful are gone. Now listen, 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 listen. When that goes, the will to fight goes. The will to win goes. The passion for victory goes. So many believers, so many pastors, so many churches live in the realm of spiritual amnesia. If you couldn't come up with a list of ten things that God did for you today, you might be in danger of spiritual amnesia. Because you've got to look for the small things. I mean, did you know you woke up this morning? That was no accident. That's an act of God. I love the song that says, David, that we, his breath is in our lungs. His breath is in our lungs. But here's what he said. I've had enough. I've had enough, Lord. You ever prayed that prayer? I've had enough. Take my life. Now, it's, it's, it's encouraging that he didn't say, God, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to take my life by suicide. But he did say, God... Kill me. Kill me. I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And he's saying two things there. It's a play on words. He's saying, one, I failed just like my ancestors. All my ancestors tried to rid Israel of Baalism and all the false gods, and they failed, and I'm a failure to God. And then I'm as good as dead. She's going to find me. She is going to track me down. It is just a matter of time. She's going to get me. And that's, where, and that's where he's living. And all this comes from a man who prayed for rain and rain. Who, who, who prayed a, and a dead boy became alive again. Who, who prayed with a widow lady and she had no oil and flour virtually. And all of a sudden she does. All that comes from that thing. It all happens because of fear. Don't think fear is harmless. Don't think fear 
is harmless. Well, let me close with this. I found this verse, and I knew it was there, and it's just good. And we'll pick up next week with, with Elijah in the cave of depression. This is not over yet, guys. I wish I'd tell you next week's going to, it's going to be okay next week, but we've got a ways to go yet. But here's what Hebrews 12, 12 says. It's an encouragement. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands. Strengthen your weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. I would say that involves some confession and repentance. I was, be very candid with you, I was sitting right there praying during the worship set, and I said, God, I pray you'll give me passion tonight. But then I used the right word. I said, God, would you give me your anointing? Would you give me your anointing? Strengthen my weak knees. Strengthen my tired hands. Give me the strength that I need. And I want you to know that church, I want you to know that this morning, that, that if you're wrestling with fear still, and believe me, a lot are. A lot are. Know that your God's greater than your fear. Be willing to go to him and tell him, God, I'm afraid. He can handle it. He's got this. He can handle our doubts and our fears. So don't be afraid to go to him and say, God, I'm fearful. Would you, would you help me? And you're going, here's what you're going to find. The answer is yes. God does not give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And a sound mind. And if you're here today, and maybe this coronavirus thing has made you think about God, and you weren't a God thinker, you weren't a God, certainly not a God seeker, but you're finding yourself... Coming online and find people like me standing up and talking about the Bible. And maybe God's spoken to your heart. And I want you to know something. You know, God loves you very much. Enough that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a Roman cross like that one. You know, the Bible says that the payment for sin is death. And Jesus died for that. And then God wants to give you a gift. And that gift is eternal life. Well, my phone number is 618 Four nine nine zero zero seven zero, and I would love to talk to you about Jesus, uh, or leave a note on leave a note on the feed there. Hey, call us, and if you leave your number, we'll get a hold of you, or maybe leave your email, and we'll write you that way. But we want you to experience the one who can defeat fear in your life, and the one who can overcome the grave and death and sin in your life. And that is not religion, it's not Baptist, it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so very much for the privilege of sharing today. And the funny part is, you know, Lord, I really think most of us don't want to admit that we have this fear deal going on. Help us to be bold enough to admit, Lord, that we are weak, that we have the weak hands and weak knees, and we need you. We need you. So this morning, Lord, I just want to pray for you to speak to your people. Let them know. That you've got this. I want to pray, Father, for my friends who may not know you yet. That today will be the day that they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Nothing worth more could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen. The sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come fly this place and fill the atmosphere your glory God is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence Lord your presence Nothing worth more could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living home. Your presence. I've tasted and seen. Sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free, and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come fly. Because 
so much for joining us this morning for worship. We pray God will give you a great week next week. And that's a great song. Invite the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit into our lives every single day. Every decision that we make, even though we walk through those hard times when fear is so prevalent, to trust Him. Let's pray together. Thank you, God. You're good. You are gracious. You are faithful. You can be trusted in all our situations. And I do want to pray, Father, one more time for the ones they're just dealing with difficult times right now, Father. Uh, I know several of our church members um, have loved ones who have been afflicted with uh, the coronavirus. We pray for them, Lord. And we've got other situations where families are waiting to have services for ones who have gone on. One's concerned about their finances. One concerned about, uh, Father, businesses. There's just so much. And yet God is not too much for you. So thankful for that. Love you, God. Thanks for this time together. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. God bless you guys.